Welcome to the August 2nd, 2021 edition of Digging Out. I'm Claudia Shambaum, the host. This program sets out to offer a means of getting us past November 3rd, 2020, January 6, 2021, as we collectively clear the debris from the last four years, four centuries, and even so many millennia. My guest today is Joseph Avisar, who offers nuance, which is in kind of a short supply in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. I was approached by a local about covering recent increased tensions in the US, especially on college campuses, wherein uh, you know, we got into the usual bicker fest with the exchanging uh, perspectives. So I was glad to attend a recent virtual Cousins Club meeting and met my guest, Mr. Avasar, for the second time. The first time he was participating in a memorial service honoring the memory of Ruth Shapin, who built Cousins Club with other local Jews and Arabs. Joseph Avasar is president and founder of the Israeli-Palestinian Confederation, which advocates for a mutual third government for Israelis and Palestinians. He's built something very interesting here and will have an opportunity to explain it all to us. He is the author of the book, Peace, A Case for an Israeli-Palestinian Confederation, and published many articles on the Israel-Palestine situation on how the Israeli-Palestinian Confederation has the potential to make peace. Sometimes we'll be calling it the IPC, but it's the Israeli-Palestinian Confederation. Many of his articles were published as Times of Israel blogs. In 2017, he produced a documentary film, Surviving Peace, that explores why Israeli-Palestinian peace has stalled for 70 years. Joseph is of Jewish descent, working in the Los Angeles area as an attorney. He immigrated to the US from Israel immediately after the 1973 war. His parents were Iraqi Jews who came to Palestine in the 1930s. He created together with the late Ruth Chapin and her son, Don Chapin, a simulation on Zoom to demonstrate how a common government for the people of Israel and Palestine could make peace and become a game changer. The simulations caught the attention of some interesting luminaries, activists and office holders. We'll talk about them as they are in the lineup to serve as guest leaders in simulations this calendar year. You could sign up for those simulations and the information we'll provide from their website later in this interview as well. He'll walk us through all of this. He comes to us today from Los Angeles. Welcome to Digging Out, Joseph Avasar. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Claudia. Well, thank you, Joseph. And listeners, we are recording this on July 30th, time stamping this in case there's breaking news that may, who knows, shape what we're, what's been covered here. So let's start with a two-parter sort of origin narrative, Joseph, is tell us a little bit about you and then tell us about how you became acquainted with the Cousins Club, which is based here in Orange County. Well, I was born in Israel. I went through the entire Israeli educational system and military. I served in the military and I came to the U.S. I attended uh, UCLA and I studied political science and then I studied law. 
late in my life, I became, I changed my views completely with regard to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I think it has to do with my legal training and my life experience. And I realized that not everything is one-sided. There are two sides to every story. And so a friend of mine introduced me to the Cousins Club, which is a wonderful organization. I like the name. It doesn't have any uh, religious connotation in terms of Jewish or Islamic or Christian. It's the cousins. So we are family. And Ruth, God bless her, she, she died in April of this year, a tremendous lady with an open mind, a lot of patience, sharp as a tax. And um, it was uh, a pleasure to deal with her. She helped me and her son, Dan, helped me with the simulation tremendously. And uh, she really, I think, gave a lot to the world just by her tremendous personality. Well, that is actually a wonderful tribute that is so appropriately a part of our digging out together. She she always had carried the shovel and she 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 knew to stop digging deeper. She was always trying to clear it out and move into very constructive paths and the Confederation and the I like that the two sides, there are two sides to store and the Confederation, there's a kind of a linguistic sort of elegance in the, the pairing of that. So let's have you describe the origins of the Israeli-Palestinian Confederation since you published your book, Peace, a case for an Israeli-Palestinian Confederation. And as your objective state, it's your own narrative. It's an otherworldly perspective in 2021, this confederation. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it started really from a visit that I had uh, with my family, my wife and my children to Jerusalem. And it was a very um, tumultuous time. When was that? It was in 1999, I believe. Okay, and Ariel Sharon was in power then. Yeah, or, or 2000, yeah. And uh, my kids were uh, little, and we went to Jerusalem, and they were shopping at different stores in an outdoor mall, and I sat in a restaurant with yellow uh, umbrellas. A week later, when I was in L.A., I saw there was a suicide bombing right where we were sitting, right near the uh, yellow umbrellas. And, and the people on TV were saying, you know, there has to be a solution to this. We can't go on like that. And I just started to think real deep, and I said, yeah, they're right. There has to be a solution. And what if the two sides came to me as a mediator and would say, how, if we honestly and genuinely want to resolve this, how do we do that? And then I realized that the only way to do it is not to have 
an Israeli government or a Palestinian government, but to have a common government for both with a parliament, with a president and vice president. But then I realized that it's, you know, you can't get rid of the Israeli government or the Palestinian governments. They are here to stay. They are very powerful. So I said, let's create a common government that will work simultaneously with the Israeli and the Palestinian government. The more I started digging into it, the more I realized that that's really, in my opinion, the only realistic option to make peace because both sides have to have ownership of the, of the issues of the conflict and how to resolve it. It has to come from both sides. You cannot dictate to one side over another. So the more I started digging into it, I was sucked into it and became very, very involved. And I formed an organization. We still have that organization. And we even, Claudia, we even had an election for a common government on December 12, 2012. Wow. And we had the election online and we had 900 candidates. However, in November of that year, there was a major war between the Israelis and the Palestinians, and a lot of the candidates pulled out, and the election was not a success. But I became even more motivated because I saw that it could happen. We could have, we could create a common government and we could have the election online. You know, the country of Estonia, Claudia, they do elections online all the time, exclusively. There are many municipalities who do elections online, banks, institutions, many. And we could turn this around and turn the Israeli-Palestinian conflict into an Israeli-Palestinian model of peace and security and prosperity. It could be a model of success. So when you say model, so are there models that you're drawing? You're talking about a voting model that could be virtual, could be a cyber model, but is there, what are the kind of institutional models that you might be drawing on? And do people, when you bring them into a, it's really, it's process right now, but do they talk about do they use the word utopian to talk about what your intentions are? Oh, yeah, they, they, they use uh, utopian, they use naive, they use uh, many, many uh, derogatory terms. But, you know, I turn this around and I say, uh, who is the naive one here? You had a war for 73 years. People are dying and there is no... There is no solution on the horizon. And I am the naive one that is trying to resolve this? Or are you the naive one who want to continue with this war, with this loss of life and loss of young people? Who is the naive one? But to answer your question, Claudia, about, I think you, you misinterpreted what I said. You said, you think it's a model for the election. 
No, the election is the tip of the iceberg. Right. No, I said you talked about the models of how the election's done, but what are the models for the institution overall that you're building, that you're drawing from? Okay. In general, I am thinking of a democracy, a democracy that would include the entire people in Israel, the West Bank, Gaza, and Jerusalem, 14 million people. Once you understand or once we frame it in terms of democracy, then it's a very easy, uh, very easy to understand. We have democracies all over the world. Some of them are very successful. The United States, Canada, Australia, um, many, many countries, uh, uh, Switzerland, etc. Now, a lot of people ask me, well, what model specifically do you follow? And the answer is, this is a tailor made for the Israelis and Palestinians. The United States model is tailor made to 50 states. The Canadian model is tailor made to Canada. The, the idea is to have the principle of democracy and then you tailor made it to the conflict, to what the, the, the parties are suspicious of. Why are they fighting? So you look at what is, what is holding them back. What is the reason that they are fighting? What is their, and, and you say, okay, well, let's look at, can we accommodate your interests? What are your interests? Tell us, give us a list of all your interests. And side B, give us, give us a list of all your interests. And yeah, we could accommodate, we could come up with a formula and the, the Israeli-Palestinian Confederation model that we developed accommodates all of the interest, the entire interest, every interest of the Palestinians and the Israelis. So it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful model, it really is. And that's why we do the simulation, to demonstrate that it, it works, that it's, it's a good model. It's a model for peace. It, it, doesn't take, it doesn't remove one hair from the security, or the um, prosperity of the Palestinians or the Israelis. It actually gives them everything they want. Everything they want is being given to them by the uh, model that we developed. Well, I wanna back up from the outcome that you're looking toward here and back up with the, the stepping off point here is that the Israeli-Palestinian Confederation it's, I see, it's a countermeasure to the human drive to create and identify with and build tribes. It's anti-tribal. And how, so is that fact that you're breaking it down to everyone bringing one interest after the next, just racking up a huge list of interests, is that the sort of unbuilding of tribes? Well, what you're really saying is that peace is anti-tribal, that peace is a danger to our tribe. And it, you may be right. You may be right. I, I, I don't know. I, I think you can still remain tribal. You can still, you know, uh, what is a tribe really when you're talking about 14 million people? But 
you know, if you want to continue the um, camaraderie between, you know, between Jews, you can continue the camaraderie. You don't have to be the enemy of the other side in order to support your tribe. If your tribe is basically leaning and relying on the continuation of a war, then you have to think twice. For those of you who are just tuning into Digging Out, my guest is Joseph Avasar, founder of the Israeli-Palestinian Confederation that advocates for a mutual third government for Israelis and Palestinians. He is an American Israeli of Iraqi background and he practices law in the US. And so we're talking about this confederation, the beginning and the sort of the process of meeting, enumerating every conceivable interest in this. And this is a kind of a leveling exercise, which is also antithetical to the status quo. The status quo is what it is right now. It's been a gradual unleveling of Israelis and Palestinians. Would you, would that be fair to say? Um, I don't like when people define <laughs> the Confederation in a way other than democracy. Okay. Okay. And, and I remember it, it, that from some of those earlier meetings and that was, it wasn't a pedantic point you were driving. You were, it was an, a completely sort of intellectually honest, that's the way it's framed. And the other words are sort of like bringing debris back into the clearing exercise. So right. I, I, fair point, a, a good point. I don't want to say fair point. A fair point is always a, it's when people say fair point, it's a dismissive expression. And I want it out of journalism and I want it out of conversation. So thank you for keeping me honest there. So when you're talking about the areas that are, where the 14 million people are coming from. So where does the Confederation exist physically, Joseph? Well, the Confederation is a government. And where would it be physically located? Or is that, is that uh, the, the kind of uh, grenade that people are not welcome to throw in? No, that's a grenade that you are welcome, that you are, well, it's not a grenade. It's a question <laughs> that, that, uh, that is a legitimate question. But, you know, we live in the 21st century. We don't have to have a physical location for our government. We don't have to have a building. They may decide to have a building. They may decide to have a flag, but they may not. They may decide to do it all online. This, it's not really the government. It's not a police station. You know, the government is, would be a, an entity that passes laws in a democratically uh, elected manner with a parliament, you know, the fact that we have a Congress building in Washington, D.C. doesn't really make it more important or more viable. You know, actually, if, you, if we have all the legislation, all the conversations openly on the Internet, it would have a lot more viability, a lot more interest. But I, I'm not the king of this confederation. I'm not even running what I am saying is you could debate, you can discuss, you can pass legislation, and it doesn't have to be in a building. 
So I think that's really interesting in terms of it does, it avails some access beyond which has previously been possible. I though think of the kind of perk, the, the benefits of having a physical place so that people can, can be face to face. There's a kind of a, there's a human impact. There is, I'm not sure about increased accountability, but a kind of a, a symbolic, we are here, we are here to activate, we are here to make our case, we are here to hold you accountable. There's a physical piece though, that might be that it's not being present in a, a virtual kind of administration at, or a government, not just administration, because there's legislative and judicial, that we might miss something in not having that physical piece. Well, you may be right. I am not, we are not proposing any substantive legislation. We are proposing a process. We are proposing to have three branches of government. We are proposing to have 300 parliament members. They could decide exactly what you're saying. I, I, you know, for me personally, because I am, I am a, a little older, I like a physical place. I go to court. I like to see a building. But, you know, it, it, if I was in the parliament, I would probably vote for a building. But I don't know. The, the point is not where it's going to be. The point is that they will decide. The Israelis and the Palestinian parliament members will decide. It's not me, Joseph. I'm not the king of this. Okay, thank you. And I, there's so much to cover. So I, everything we do, I will be shortchanging unhappily, but uh, it's a matter of giving every aspect of this uh, at least a glancing sort of explanation. So the entities that are involved, they include the, it's the Israeli government, the Palestinian Authority, it includes the Gaza territory, but up front, you don't say Hamas when you're talking about the entities as you're building this confederation. Uh, we don't say Hamas, we don't say the Israeli government, we don't say the Palestinian governments. All, all these entities are the problem, they're not the solution. They are the reason we are proposing a common government is because those governments failed to make peace. So we are saying, let's create a common government for the people, not for the existing governments, for the people of Israel and Palestine that will function separately and independently the Hamas government, the Israeli government, and the Palestinian government. However, once it is established, it would give those entities, the Israeli government, the Palestinian government, and the Hamas government, a veto power over the legislation that affects their sovereignty. Because we have to recognize their power. Their power, their sovereignty, we cannot overcome their sovereignty. And that's we, huge. Sovereignty is a is essential. Yes. Yeah. But we are proposing a government for the people. And that's the Israeli people and the Palestinian people together. And do you are you drawing on the let's say there's a dislocation. There are a lot of I guess you could say expatriates that especially in the Palestinian demographic with how would that are all over the world are is there a way that you capture all of those as prospective participants? 
Yes, yes. We we advertise heavily on the internet. And but what we are doing now is the simulations. And the simulation, because I imagine what I just told you before about really ignoring the Israeli government and the Palestinian government, the Hamas government, that creates a huge question mark in your in your head, even though you did not express that. The simulation demonstrate how it will work. Yes, very clearly it does. Okay, that's the purpose of the simulations. Now, with regard to your question, we love to have Israelis, we love to have Palestinians, but in reality, the Israelis and the Palestinians are the most difficult to convince. Why? Because they are very nationalistic, they have a combination of religion, nationalism, and militarism. Well, it's kind of the tribes I was mentioning earlier. Uh, yeah. So they are the most difficult to convince, the Israelis and the Palestinians. On top of that, they have difficulty understanding the concept of jurisdiction, like we have in the United States. You know, if you think about it, we have so many jurisdictions. We have the federal government, then we have the state government, then we have the city government, and then we have our homeowner associations, so many layers of governments. We have... And there's even more, but we won't, we, we need to get to exactly. that. Tier. Yes. Yeah, in Israel, Palestine, it's not the case. In addition to that, we have representative, local representatives to Congress, to City Hall, to uh, Senate. In Israel, in Palestine, it doesn't exist. So what we are hoping is really to get as many people that are not necessarily Israelis and Palestinians to help us demonstrate how this kind of formula with jurisdictions, with local representatives, could help make peace between Israelis and Palestinians. Once we get support from people who understand how democracy works, then it would be easier to advocate this system in Israel and Palestine. So would there, if your family still resided in Syria, would you be a participant in this process? If my family you mean if I'm a Palestinian? No, as an a Palest as a Syrian, of uh, as a as a Jewish person of Syrian descent, would if you're if you remained in Syria, would you be participating in this process? In the actual proposed in the confederation process. No, the the confederation is the government for the people in Israel, the West Bank. Those fourteen million. Plus, plus the ones that have maybe moved out, not, I mean, impermanent moves out of the Israel-Palestinian areas. No, it would only include those that are in Israel, the West Bank, Gaza, and Jerusalem. But you agree, though, that there's, there's some sort of sliding kinds of uh, residency kinds of descriptors for, for many, especially Palestinians that are here because of various circumstances. They're not considered Palestinian to be. The confederation would be a new entity. It would be an entity 
for the people that are residing over there. The Palestinians and the Israelis and the Jews that live outside, they were represented by the Palestinian government, by the Hamas government, by the Israeli government, and we don't take that away from them. They can continue to represent Palestinians all over the world. They can continue to represent the uh, Israelis. All okay. Or That's, the okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Because I, I've, I've met them. I've met them in the U.S., those that are sort of sort of one foot planted in each parts, each sides of the world. So that helps me understand. So let's get to that all important process of simulations, how they work, how you select your speakers that are guests that lead this whole role play. Let's talk about first, who's participating in those simulations. And then we'll talk about all those other features that are so interesting. Well, the people that participate in the simulations are those that respond to our uh, social media, to our advertising on the internet, to our emails, etc. It's anyone in the world, conceivably. Anyone in the world. Okay, so that's an interesting thing. It's we start out with the universal population, and we're we're shaping a 14 million person population. Yeah, and we're asking them to pretend to be either Israelis or Palestinians. We don't really, it, they don't have to really be Israelis or Palestinians. We say, please assume the role of Israeli or Palestinian. And please assume the role of being a parliament member in the confederation. Assume, we ask asking people to assume that we had an election and 300 parliament members elected. And we're asking the participants to assume the role of either Israeli or Palestinian parliament member in the confederation. We also ask people to assume the role of Israeli prime minister, Hamas leader, PA leader. Palestinian uh, authority. Palestinian yeah. authority. Um, United States president. Chancellor of Germany, World Bank leader, et cetera, et cetera. The more people we have, the better. And we say, okay, let's assume that we just completed an election and me, Joseph, I was elected as president. I have a vice president. She was elected. She's Palestinian, I'm Israeli. We rotate and then we have 300 parliament members. And we created a government. We created a government with three branches, the legislative, the executive, and the judicial. And now we are proposing legislation and we propose the legislation and we take a vote. And we demonstrate that if we have a completely different narrative, not the Israeli narrative or the Palestinian narrative, but a global narrative, a narrative that is good for the entire area, then we can pass legislation that both sides, and trust me, it's like almost both sides, every legislation, we passed many, many, many legislation in all the simulation, agree to it. And then we go to the- Well, uh, it's not It's not to be really, really fair and honor what your process involves, is that there are disagreements, there are votes down, 
and then there is a reconsideration of a vote and that's where that unanimity comes. But it's not, every step of the way is not unanimous. It's a sort of a refinement that goes on to yeah. get to that unanimous sort Absolutely. of decision. Absolutely. It really depends on the legislation, but yes, on, on many of them, but that's the beauty of it. We show, yes. we show that we can refine and we can improve the legislation a lot of the legislation initially failed because we give the Hamas leader, the Israeli government, the, the Palestinian president, we give him a veto power. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. I am not happy with that part. Okay. okay. So here we amend the legislation and he goes, okay, now I'm happy. I'm not going to veto it. The whole purpose is to show that they both have interests and we can serve the interest of both sides and we create a situation where the right thing is being done and neither side can veto it. And that's the strength of the common government. I'm just listening to the language. It's so, so intentional and it's so elegant, conserving the interests of both sides. The word choice in conserve and interest in that one sentence, it's in the original sense of the word, it is awesome, Joseph, I have to say. I'm just taking stock of how you're building this. I mean, you, you're saying that, with, that is so remarkably elegant. So, and your guest speakers, they, they are the sort of the lead, they're the president of the simulations, correct? No, the guest speakers, we bring real people. They are being brought to criticize, basically it's a trap for them because they don't really know what to expect. And they are being put in a position where, and that's purposely so, where we show here, this is a formula that can work. Please tell us why it would not work. So they're commentators. They're commentators, exactly. Okay. But they are very well educated, very well versed with the issues. And a lot of them support one side over the other. And we purposely bring them. You know, we bring both sides because they all claim to be in favor of peace. And when we show them a, a formula that is for peace, they'll have to admit that it is helpful to peace. Now, that is interesting. Well, I guess listeners are leaning really close to the speaker and they want to know, all right, who are these people? So you can talk about, you can list briefly the, the ones that previous have, and then we'll talk about who's coming up on August 8th after this broadcast for people to tune into. So the previous ones, and I attended the one former Egyptian ambassador, Mohammed Halal Mustafa was yeah. in the simulation I attended. But right. the several names before, and you can list the ones that are coming up. Yeah, so we have uh, Peter Beinart coming up, and then we have uh, Noam Chomsky. And I think both of them are there to, they will accept this formula. I think so. I'm, I'm, I'm not well, sure. Well, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. You we'll have see. to wait till the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, they, Peter Beinart is more like a neutral person. Noam a journalist. Chomsky. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Noam Chomsky is more of a Palestinian supporter. Uh, we have Dennis Ross. Dennis Ross is a U.S. ambassador who 
attempted to negotiate peace for President uh, Bush, Clinton, Clinton for uh, Secretary of State Clinton, and for uh, Obama. And he supports two states. Now, the beauty of it is we say, okay, whatever formula you support, we are not against. We're not against two states. We are not against one state. That's the beauty of the formula that we have. We are not against anything. We are just in favor of creating a common government based on democratic principles. Now, if the Israeli government and the Palestinian government, they want to agree to two states, by all means, we are not against it. If they want to agree to one state, by all means, we're not against it. If they want another formula, we're not against anything. But we are saying that our formula is the most realistic. It would be the most cost-effective. It would save trillions of dollars for both sides. It would save lives on both sides. And it would give peace and prosperity to both sides. So we also have Alan Dershowitz. You know, Alan Dershowitz, he's considered to be pro-Israel. We have uh, Cornell West, he, support, he supports the Palestinians. We're trying to bring as many people who support as many sides as one side or another, because we, we're trying to show, and we put the simulations on our uh, website, by the way, so you can listen to them. We are trying to show that this formula, both sides are going to praise. They, they will see the benefit of the formula we are presenting, and they will both praise them, both sides. And you will continue to line up more after the Cornell West is the last one on the roster for on October 3rd, but you will continue to keep inviting people. Absolutely. Yes, we are sending invitations. You know, we have plenty of time for more people. We're trying to get President Clinton, who, by the way, sent us a congratulatory letter at one point. We're trying to get Obama. We're trying to get Clinton. We're trying to get Mrs. Clinton, we're trying to get Bush, we're trying to get Condoleezza Rice and all the Secretary of States. It's going to be very difficult to get them because, you know, they were involved in a peace process that they believed in. So I have another suggestion. Yeah. But I don't know if it's virtual, it may be. How about going outside of America? You're listing American people. How about somebody like uh, Desmond Tutu or, uh, you know, clergy people. Yes, yes, yes. I think we sent to the Dalai Lama. We'll see if he will respond. Uh, Desmond Tutu is a very good suggestion. But I'm not sure if uh, he's really slowed down his visits, even virtual ones. So uh, mm-hmm. in back in the day, because he's seen a reconciliation. This is sort of like that necessary step toward a confederation. And so that's a, a sort of essential dynamic, I think, or a rich, a rich sort of perspective to bring into to looking at all this. So let's talk about the people that are participating in the simulations. What kinds of people are they? And they're, where are they geographically based? Are, I mean, it's a big commitment of time. They're, the simulations are a couple of hours or or longer if people stick around perhaps in the Zoom rooms, but talk about who's not necessarily naming names, but just generally the demographics of the participants in this role play in the Confederation. Well, first of all, we have a lot of repeat people. 
you know, the simulation is very intellectually stimulating. So people leave the simulation and they start thinking about it and they start thinking about, is it, is it the right thing to do or the wrong thing? Is it, is it going to harm my site? That's really the bottom line. You know, you have either pro-Israelis, pro-Palestinians. Is it going to harm my site? Is it going to benefit my site? That's what they are really looking at. They, you know, the, the, the world is divided into two categories, pro-Israelis and pro-Palestinians. That's the two categories that I believe the world is divided into. So we get a lot of repeat people. And we get Israelis, we get Palestinians. We, interestingly enough, we get, I think, more Palestinians than Israelis because they are really yearning for peace. The Palestinians want, to, even those that never lived in Israel or Palestine, you know, I, I am from, my parents are from Iraq, and I'm planning to go and visit Iraq because I want to see where my parents were born, where they walked, where they went to high school, where they were working, what's their background. It's really, you know, Palestinians want to do the same thing. They want to visit their roots, especially when they were forced out of their place. So we get a lot of Palestinians and a lot of uh, people from democracies all over the world, from Canada, different days is different. You know, sometimes we get people from all the way from Saudi Arabia to uh, Montreal. It's really hard to tell. And do they, when they check in, because I've only observed one, but do they check in with their location or you know them all so you don't even have to ask? How does that data no, they, register? They, no, they, they don't check in with their, but we have like, we always have like a five, 10 minutes discussion. And then during the question and answer, they all reveal where they are from. What, you know, we have Italians, right. we have you know, because people draw from their own experience where they live. So they tell us where they are. So I'm reminded of an analogy about a, a sort of a large sort of conflict, a, a, war, a war that was unfolding and the opposition to the war unfolding in the early 2000s, I think. The analogy was, and I'm going to apply it to this Confederation and the simulations is that the sort of general mainstream consideration of the conflict, that's like, that's the music being played in a rock arena. It's really loud. And I see the Confederation conversations and the simulations, they're a normal voice speaking in that arena where the loud rock music is being played. So how do you propose getting your profile raised so that you're more of a force to be reckoned with, Joseph? Well, I am not planning to mute the loud music. It's not possible. It's not possible. What's possible is to get the, like you said, the, the, the Confederation is, the, and I tend to believe that we are the reasonable people, and we are the mi a minority of reasonable people on the Israeli side and the Palestinian side. But the beauty of it is that we combine, we can combine 
the minority in the Israeli and the minority in the Palestinian into one group. So we can, giving your analogy, we can have our own concert outside the arena and create our own formula because there are enough Israelis and enough Palestinians that understand that this conflict is meaningless, that they don't want their children to repeat a war after war. They don't want their wives or husbands. They understand that the Palestinians and the Israelis are there to stay. And they understand that their governments failed them, that their governments not only failed them, but have no formula for peace. They're, in fact, they're telling them there is no way we can make peace. They're blaming each other. The only thing is we need legitimacy to get these people, the minority Israelis and the minority Palestinians, to get them to believe in it. And we need legitimacy. And the legitimacy would come from people like you that interview us and say, well, you know what? There is something to this. We have to try something. If we get a major article in the New York Times, it would be a game changer. It would absolutely be a game changer. If a major newspaper or major, and it doesn't have to be New York, it could be the Der Spiegel. It could be in... in right, the Atlantic, you know, a nice long piece about background on Joseph Avasar. And by the way, let me just remind guests that have joined us. My guest is Joseph Avasar. He's founder of the Israeli-Palestinian Confederation that advocates for a mutual third government for Israelis and Palestinians. He is an American Israeli of Iraqi background. He practices law in the U.S. and he's based in Los Angeles. So yes, you're talking about getting that Get big media break so you get the big, you know, the Klieg lights pointed right at you so people can look at there is another way that look, this uh, can be it, done. It doesn't even have to be about the Confederation. It doesn't have to be certainly not about Joseph Avisar. I have never seen a piece, an investigative piece about the constant failure to make peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. For some reason, we assume that they are born to fight each other until eternity. And we are not being really fair or respectful to the Israelis or the Palestinians when we are not really investigating why is it that our governments, all of our governments, including the American, including the European, constantly holding on to a one formula for peace, which is a two-state solution. And it's not even a formula for peace. It's a formula for dividing the land. What are we waiting for? Why are we not investigating the failure of our governments to have other options for peace, to have uh, another formula for peace, but remain with this failed formula for 73 years? If we have a, a discussion, an honest discussion about that aspect, it will bring up the 
option that we are presenting and other options. We're not saying we are the only option, but there has to be a real honest to goodness discussion of the failure of the governments to make peace. So I want to look at what the dividends are in the participation sort of in the, the interim period here of this confederation in the simulation. Joseph, do you have access to how your participants benefit from this exercise? Is there sort of like a clinical kind of improvement? Do they say, boy, I felt so much better after contributing? The reaction that I get every once in a while is I have learned so much about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict after participating in the simulation. And this is why I come in again and again, because every time I learn something new and people just enjoy having another perspective you know, because we were trained to think that there's only one perspective to this. In other words, two state, and that's it. And people enjoy learning that there is another perspective, other possibilities. And they are also feeling that they, they feel that they've been led astray by the uh, whoever they trusted before. You know, they I feel that way too, that, that I was limited by limited people, people who limited my vision. That's pretty, that's really interesting and, and really understandable. Are, are there other kinds of, uh, I mean, knowledge is empowering for people. I could capture that in, is, is there, are there other kinds of ways they weigh in that they benefit from participation, Joseph? Well, we had a, a Palestinian person who actually became part of our board of directors. He said that the simulation led him to understand that we have to go forward. We cannot, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the argument about it is exclusively about a blame game. It's, it's a huge, big blame game. And um, this, actually, this Palestinian person, he said, I finally realized we have to go forward and we have to find a formula. So, yeah, people, he said that other people are saying, like, I think you participated in the simulation when we were discussing whether to allow or give Hamas a veto power. And first they said, no, no veto power to Hamas in the simulation. And that's a knee-jerk reaction uh, because in their eyes, Hamas is a terrorist organization. But then when we opened up the discussion and we said, hey, our purpose is to make peace. And we have a different narrative, a different perspective and Actually, it's much more beneficial to include Hamas and to give them a seat at the table than to exclude them. And some people said, you know, I never thought about it that way. 
and now I'm going to change my vote. So we see that all the time. It, people enjoy the intellectual exercise of examining the conflict in an objective manner. Well, I want to give you a chance to let people know how they can sign on to the simulations and participate, how they can follow the Israeli-Palestinian Confederation and look for the all important upcoming deadlines and events. And I wanna give a, a reference here to the Ruth Chapin essay competition that is posted on the website that the deadline, which is August 30th. So there's time people. So you can go to the website for knowing what is necessary and how to contribute in that competition. So please tell us how people can follow you, Joseph Abbasar. Yeah. Okay. So we have, the best thing is to go to our website, which is ipconfederation.org. I for Israel, P for Palestine, confederation.org. When you are there, it's in three languages, but I assume that the people who are listening to this understand English. So when you are there, you can sign up to each simulation with different speakers, whether it is with Peter Beinart, Dennis Ross, Norm Chomsky, Alan Dershowitz, Cornell West, etc. But they can also sign up to participate in the Ruth Shapin essay competition. The Ruth Shapin essay competition, which is really, a, people react to that very, very well from all over the world, from Africa, from, it's amazing the number of people we get because it gives them an opportunity to describe their emotional reaction and, uh, and their feeling, their hope, their frustration when they participated in the simulation. We've done that before, and it, it, we got a lot of entries. And before it was Roots Shaping Essay Company. It was just an essay competition. But after Roots died in April, we made it the Roots shape an essay. And it gives them an opportunity to discuss, to write. A lot of people love to write and to write about their emotions, their feelings, and um, they can submit. And we get a tremendous amount of reaction from that aspect of our um, website and people are joining and writing about it. Well, very good. That's a, a wonderful way to conclude the interview, honoring Ruth Shapin one more time, the late Ruth Shapin, and giving people a means for, for participating. I want to thank you, Joseph Avasar, for being our guest today for all your time. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it very much. My guest was Joseph Avasar, founder of the Israeli-Palestinian Confederation. And we wish you well. I'll look forward to future simulations as time avails. Thanks again. Thank you very much. And speaking of facts in the ground, we have our redistricting of the Orange County Board of Supervisor Districts. The public workshops for redrawing the district maps are this week. August 3rd, Tuesday, will be a public workshop at Mission Viejo. Wednesday, August 4th, will be a public workshop in Fountain Valley. August 5th, on Thursday, will be a public workshop in 
Orange, the City of Orange Council Chambers. August 11th, Wednesday, will be at the Fullerton Community Center Grand Hall. And the final one will be August 12th, that's a Thursday, at the Coast Community College District in Costa Mesa. All this information is available on their website, www.ocgov.com forward slash redistricting. All of these forms will be conducted on their Facebook page, forward slash OCGov. Thank you for listening, everyone, today. Talk with you next week. Peace out.